Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Amma ba'du fa'udhu billahi minasyaitanirrajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Laqad ja'akum rasulun min anfusikum azizun alayhi ma'anittum harisun alaykum bil mu'minina ra'ufur rahim. Al-ayah, sadaqallahul azim. Wa anabnu umara radiyallahu anhuma anna rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal Umirtu an uqatila al-nasa hatta yashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah wa yuqimu as-salata wa yu'tu az-zakata fa idha fa'alu thalika asamu minni dima'ahum wa amwalahum illa bihaq al-islam wa hisabuhum ala allahi ta'ala rawahu al-bukhari wa muslim So this is hadith number 8 that we're continuing in the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi and as we mentioned, this beautiful compilation of Imam al-Nawawi, it brings together and it consists of those fundamental principles of Islam, those qawaid kulliya, or those general fundamental issues on which the deen is based upon. So we know that different, different scholars wrote different fada'il or different hadith, different arba'inat. One scholar wrote 40 hadith and the virtues of prayer. Another wrote 40 hadith and the virtues of charity. Another wrote 40 hadith like we're reading every night, the virtues of the Prophet. So different, different arba'inat. But what Imam al-Nawawi is attempting to do is that he's taking each hadith and every hadith is supposed to be like a major principle or fundamental teaching of Islam. This, like if somebody ask you, tell me something about Islam, and then you would present one hadith, it would clarify like a major, you know, fundamental principle of what our religion teaches. So it's important that every Muslim, if you have not memorized, at least to know the translation or have heard such a meaning of a hadith. And all of these ahadith, mashallah, that Imam al-Nawi brings, obviously, they're authentic, they're reliable. But every Muslim should know these, this concept of what this is. So we reach hadith number eight from these 40 hadith. And the translation of this hadith is that hadith, first and foremost, is narrated by Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah, the son of Umar radiallahu anhumah, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that I have been commanded that I should continue to fight the people until they bear witness that there's no one worthy of worship but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and that they should establish the prayer and that they should give the charity and once they have done that then their blood and their wealth has been preserved has been protected except by the demand of the law of Islam and after that, then their account is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once they have said, Ashadu Allah ilaha illa wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah, then we are commanded to leave them and their account with Allah. We don't probe into anything or asking anyone. When a, when a person says, Ashadu Allah ilaha illa wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah, then after that we don't ask anything. And this is the apparent translation of this hadith. The meaning is very, very clear. Couple of points, right? That we learn it's that you know once a person uh, you know uh, has accepted the shahada, you know he is protected and he is preserved, and 
Other than that, there's a continuous, what the apparent meaning of the hadith is, that there is a continuous fight that has to be established or struggle until the people accept. So this is the apparent meaning of the hadith is what has become kind of, how do you say, uh, for certain people, they misuse this hadith to say that the meaning of the hadith is that you continue to kill people or you continue to force people with aggression until they enter Islam. And then when they enter Islam, then they are to, you know, then you, you, you leave them alone. But as long as they have not, then you're commanded to kill everybody and fight everybody until they do that. Whereas contextually, this is where we have to understand that ayat of the Quran that have to do with fighting and that have to do with, for example, um, war, as we mentioned previously, and fighting. And the hadith of the Prophet have to be contextualized. You can't take this hadith and write, be, you know, take it, you know, how do you say, face value. Why that is? Because when you pick up this book and you just read the hadith, do you think that the Prophet just said the hadith? Like he's just sitting at home, nothing is happening, and then he just blurted out this hadith, Omirtu an uqatil an nas. Nobody speaks like that. So one major issue that we have with a lot of hadith kitabs and one major issue that we have with, uh, uh, you know, Qur'an as well. The issue is not with Qur'an. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The issue is not with Qur'an or the hadith. The issue is the way that we are studying or the way that we um, self-study the Qur'an and the hadith. Remember, Qur'an and hadith throughout the centuries was studied by scholars. It was you know, uh, learned in circles like this. There was not this that people would pick up a book and then they would read it on their own and says, oh, here the Prophet is saying, I've been commanded to kill people until, you know, uqatil, right? Hatta yashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. So it means that continue to go kill people until people accept Islam. That's the apparent meaning of this. With that being said, a very important point comes from this hadith and from other ayat. There's one word we have to understand. Without this, we'll, we're unable to understand Qur'an and we're unable to understand hadith and that word is contextualization. Contextualization. Looking at the ayat and the ahadith within the context of when, where, what, how, what is the five, what does they say? What, where, when, what, how, right? You have to ask that in every hadith and in ayat. What, where, when, why, how? If you, don't, if you cannot answer those questions, you have not understood the hadith in this context. If you can answer these things to me, what, where, when, why, how, then you can say, okay, you, then you understood the hadith. If you cannot answer these five, then you haven't, have not understood the hadith. You're interpreting it on your own. That is why, my dear brothers and sisters and honorable listeners, we have commentaries of the Bukhari in 20 volumes. We have the commentary of the Sahih Muslim in 15 to 10, 10 volumes. What is all of that? What's being written? Whereas the actual uh, hadith are 2,000 or 3,000 ahadith, right? It should, you know, be in about four volumes or two volumes. 
You can summarize 2,500 or 3,000 hadith, not even more than that. What is all the 20 volumes speaking of? It's contextualization. It's clarification. Now, let's understand the context of this. So in order to have a proper understanding of this hadith, here a couple of points. Umirtu an uqatilan nas. The first word is umirtu. I have been commanded. Umirtu. Umirtu is sigatul majhul. Right. Amartu is I commanded. Umirtu, I have been commanded. Okay, the question is who? Who commanded? Hmm? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah commanded. Okay, what was the command? Where does that command come from? Quran Kareem. So the commanding, the command of fighting, which is then we, okay, we have to put it in context. The Prophet was commanded, an uqatil. Now, this word uqatil, anybody who studied Arabic language, qatala yuqatilu is a different scale of Arabic grammar from the scales of sarf. Arabic morphology. You have syntax, which is nahu, and then you have morphology, which is sarf, which are the verb variations. Qatala yaqtulu means to kill. Qatala yuqatilu, it means that there's something happening from both sides. It, the, here, the hadith it doesn't say, umirtu an aqtula nas. This is a very important. If you don't understand Arabic, you won't understand this. ما هو الفرق بين المقاتلة والقتل؟ المقاتلة يكون من جانبين. مقاتلة أمرت أن أقاتل الناس. I have been commanded to defend or to fight against people that are fighting us. It's hard to translate, so you just use the word fight. To use the word fight. Because the word when you hear قتلة that's the root of this word. It, certain people take the context to mean, I've been commanded to kill. This is not kill. There is no kill here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not command anybody to kill anyone. Here the word is uqatil. And we have to understand that from where this began. Who is the one who commenced this aggression? Let's go to the ayat in Surah Al-Hajj in which Allah Ta'ala says, أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا Permission has been granted for the believers to fight. بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا Because they have been wronged. Those who have been taken out of their homes and expelled from their homes and snatched of and, and looted of their properties. So subhanAllah, when we go back to the command, the command is a permission to fight against those who commenced the aggression. Do you understand? So much context is in here. So here what's happening is the Prophet is going through a conflict. This statement, right? This statement has been meant because the, 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 the question is how long, how long are you going to fight, O Muhammad? 
How long are you going to fight with the mushrikeen? He says, So now when you look at it from this context, that the disbelievers, they're aggressors. The mushrikeen of Makkah, they're aggressors. When the Prophet came with the Tawheed and with Islam, he was expelled from Makkah Mukarramah. After being expelled from Makkah Mukarramah, he settled and he made hijrah in Medina Munawwara. Even then they came after them. They were not allowed to fight. You have to understand the history of Islam. You have to understand the seerah. And when they were in Medina Munawwara, again, they brought the battle to the, to the Prophet They brought the aggression to Medina, even though they left the aggression. They left the fighting. They left the persecution. And they left for Medina Munawwara to not fight. They brought it there. There that these ayat from Surah Al-Hajj was revealed, Udhina lilladheena. Udhina means permission has been granted. In other words, before permission was not granted for you to fight with those people. Showing that there is an aggressor. Showing that there is a need to defend. There is a need to fight back. You understand? So this puts all of this in context. Now understand, umirtu an uqatila. I have been commanded to defend and fight against those who are aggressing against us. That's why this word, means from something happening from the other side. So those people who take this hadith to mean killing, they first and foremost don't understand the Arabic language. They are not understanding the Arabic language. Because you have a word that is Qatala yaqtulu, which means to kill, and then you have Qatala yuqatilu qital, which means for something to happen from both sides. So here we see that there is something, an aggression. There is a aggression, or there is an oppression, or there is a force from outside that something is happening, and now you are making difa of that. You are fighting back. It's not one-sided. Because this is, this is where it clarifies that question that Islam spread through the sword. So if this hadith is being used, that Islam is spread through the sword, that means that there, there is one side that is not fighting. And there's only, the, the fighting is one-sided. So it does not go in accordance with this hadith. Because this hadith establishes that there's muqatala. وَبَابُ الْمُفَاعَلَ بِاللُّغَةِ الْعَرَبِيَّةِ بِقَوَانِينِ الصَّرْفِ وَفِعْلٌ وَقَعَ مِنْ جَانِبَيْنِ أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أُقَاتِلَ النَّاسِ مَا قَالَ أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَقْتُلَ النَّاسِ الْقَتْلِ يَكُونْ مِنْ جَانِبٍ وَاحِدٍ وَالْمُقَاتِلَ يَكُونْ مِنْ جَانِبَيْنِ That there is a person happening, there is something happening from this side, and then there is something happening from this side, which is more that there is a there is defa, there is, you know, defense that's going on. خير, the point is, those people who use this hadith to give this meaning that, you know, we go and we just start like the Mongols, we're just killing everybody like a runaway train until everybody accepts Islam, is wrong. Based on the Arabic grammar that's in this, word, in, in this hadith, the wording, uqatil, meaning that there's some aggression happening on the other side. There's some aggression that's taking place. Otherwise, then the word would be umirtu an aqtulan nas. I've been commanded to kill the people until all of them accept Islam. So first and foremost, we know that there was what what this is referring to. It's referring to and then there's, there's a word here an nas. What does an nas refer to? 
Umirtu an uqatil an nas. I have been commanded to fight the people. The people here, as the muhaddithin mentioned, is the mushrikeen of the Arabs who had commenced war with the Prophet and this statement was mentioned in that war scenario, in that fighting scenario. That it's as if somebody asked him the question, Ya Rasulullah, for how long is this fighting going to take place? He said, this fighting is going to take place until they desist. How do we know that they have desisted when they have bore witness that there is no one worthy of worship but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger? That is the sign. Because it was the governance of Islam, there was Darul Islam, and then there was Darul Kufr. There was Darul Islam and there was Darul Harb. The only way that you would know that a person had desisted is the fact that they have accepted Islam. So if another question is, I, we ask those people who say that this hadith means kill them until they accept Islam. Why is it that then jizya has been, has been commanded as well? Because if the objective is to kill everybody, the jizya is compliance that we desist, we are not fighting, and we accept that the Muslim government takes care of our security. For that security, we pay this tax. And this covers our security, and our wealth is preserved, just our wealth and our lives and our blood is preserved, just like the life, the blood, and the wealth of any Muslim is preserved. Those are called Ahlul Dhimma, that they are in our responsibility. They are in our care. To such an extent that the Prophet said, anybody who kills a dhimmi, he shall be killed. So if the meaning of this hadith is, kill the people until they accept Islam, then why does it allow people, why are people allowed to remain on their religions? Because jizya means you remain on your religion. Right? It's a choice. You make ahad with the Prophet, and that's what they did in, in Hudaybiyah. They made a treaty. They said, we remain on our religion. He said, okay, you don't fight us, we don't fight you. They remained on their religion. The Prophet should have killed them. Should have killed all of them. But no, there was a treaty. It was sulh. There was no muqatala taking place. There was no aggression from their side coming. So they were, they were allowed to live in peace. They were living in peace with one another. Or same with Ahlul Kitab. They remain, when, when the, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he entered into Sham, he preserved the churches. And he said, do not kill the priests and do not destroy the churches. What is that about? If this hadith means kill the people until they accept Islam. No, they said, we accept the governance of, 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 of Islam. We're, they're given all full rights to practice their religion freely. But the law of the Sharia and the law of Islam is what will dominate and what will govern. And everything else we, we, we accept and we live in peace and you follow your Lakum dinukum wal yadin. Because this is these this because the statement that they say that Islam spread through the sword is just factually wrong. Because if this was the case, there should be no Christian that remained in Jerusalem. There should be no church standing in Jerusalem. From the time of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, from the yani, from Khalifa al-Thani, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, it should not have existed. Christians should have been obliterated. But we know that the oldest churches and the places that were sanctified to Muslims, the Church of the, the Holy Sepulchre and all of these things, they remained and they were preserved. 
by the law of Islam, they were preserved. So from this, we understand that either the hadith is wrong or people are misunderstanding the hadith. The hadith is not wrong. People are misunderstanding the application of this hadith. This hadith was specifically referring to the mushrikeen of the Arabs who were in constant aggression and fighting against the Prophet ﷺ, and he was answering the question that I be commanded to fight against these aggressors until they enter into Islam. There is no other way for them. They broke their sulh, they broke their treaty, there is no other way now. Khair. Another thing that puts this hadith into context is that when the Prophet ﷺ passed away and Abu Bakr ﷺ became the Khalifa after him and some of the Arabs, the tribes, they became murtad. Abu Bakr ﷺ came out and the first thing that he did is that he gathered the troops against them. These were people who they left Islam after the Prophet ﷺ passed away. And amongst them were people who did not reject Islam, but they rejected zakat. And what did they say? They say, zakat was only in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Zakat does not, is not after him. In other words, they're making ta'wil in the fardiyat of zakat. They interpreted the ayah of the Qur'an, aqimu salata wa atu zakat. They say, atu zakat is no longer. Atu zakat is no longer. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq said, we're going to take our armies and go straight to them. So Sayyidina Umar said, كَيْفَ تُقَاتِلَ النَّاسِ وَقَدْ قَالُوا لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَقَدْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أُمِرْتُ أَنْ قَاتِلَ النَّاسِ حَتَّى يَقُولُوا لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So Umar radiallahu anhu stood up. And Umar radiallahu anhu, and, and this is another proof that this Hadith does not mean just randomly just go and kill the people. That Umar said, hey, why are you now going to fight these people? Sayyidina Umar said, they say la ilaha illallah. The only issue they have is that they don't want to give zakat, but they say la ilaha illallah. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq answered him that you only, you're reading only half of the hadith. So remember, that again, this is all con also contextualization. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he was understanding the hadith only from here. Umirtu an uqatil hatta yashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. I have been commanded to fight the people until they say la ilaha illallah. He said, no, you're not reading the hadith in totality. The whole hadith. That's why it's important for us. If Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, only that amount had reached him and he had understood, understood it that, like that, we can easily fall out of context. Easily. We have to get the full picture, the full context, the full hadith. What did Abu Bakr say to him? He said, no, the hadith is like this. O Umar, umirtu an uqatil al-nas hatta yaqulu la ilaha illallah wa yuqimu salata wa yu'tu zakat fa idha fa'alu thalika asamu minni dima'ahum wa amwalahum Illa bihaqil Islam. Illa bihaqil Islam. And he said, them saying that we don't give zakat, zakat is in the life of the Prophet. This is the haqq of Islam that the, uh, the Prophet is talking about. That I've been commanded to fight them, and after they say, La ilaha illallah, I cannot touch them until then they reject 
And then this is the haqq of Islam. To give zakat is the haqq of Islam. And they rejected that. And remember that Islam and Sharia, this was the law of that time. Right now in this country, if you don't pay taxes, yeah, you're not a nice guy. The IRS, even though they say it's something like it's disconnected from the government or something, it's like a different shoba, it's a different department. But they, you can get locked up. Why is that such a big deal? Because it's part of the law of the land. It's part of the law of the country. And we have to understand that then under a Islamic, valid Islamic hukuma, under proper sharia rulings, that zakat is the haqq of the miskeen and yatim and all of the poor, which is the right of the government that he can take it. United States can take a person and lock him up in jail because the IRS you know, said that he owes taxes. Right? This is the haqq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's not taxes for the government. This is the, you know, وَفِي أَمْوَالِهِمْ حَقٌ مَعْلُومٌ لِلسَّائِلِ وَالْمَحْرُومٌ This is the haqq of the poor and the miskeen and the widow and the orphan. Allah Azza wa Jal has the haqq. And you reject it. it isn't there. So they not only withheld it, they said, we're not going to give it. They said, we don't believe in it. We don't believe in it. We're not going to give. Not only we're not going to give, we don't believe in it. That was only in the time of the Prophet. When the Prophet passed away, there is no more zakat. Ta'awwalu fil ayah. And it's wrong. And to reject an ayah of the Quran is kufr. Anyways, then Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq says, Wallahi law mana'uni inaqan, ay aqalan, kanu yu'addunahu ila Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that if they were to withhold from me even a rope, something like a rope that they used to give to the Prophet and they stopped, that that was demanded of them through zakat, then I would have fought them even on that matter. So Umar accepted this and he understood the matter very clearly. Another point to take into consideration when people take this hadith out of context and say that this hadith means, you know, kill the people until they accept Islam is that in the version of this hadith narrated in Sahih Muslim, when the Prophet he narrated this hadith, he read this ayah in the end. It's very interesting. And this is mentioned by uh, Maulana uh, Sheikh uh, Idris uh, Miriti. So he is in Tarjuman al-Quran, the author of Tarjuman al-Quran. Or Tarjuman al-Sunnah, I'm sorry, Tarjuman al-Sunnah. So he says that there's another version of this hadith. That in the end of it, he brings this ayah that the Prophet says, أُمِرْتُ أَنُ قَاتِلَ النَّاسِ حَتَّى يَشْهَدُ أَلَّا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ وَعَصَمُ مِنِّي دِمَاءَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ And then he says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ لَسْتَ عَلَيْهِمِ مُصَيْطِرِ This is interesting. Remind them, O Muhammad Wasallam, you are but a reminder. You are not an oppressor or an aggressor over them. You are not somebody that has any power to force them to do anything. In other words, if this, the beginning of this hadith had anything to do with forcing or aggression, then what's the meaning of this statement in the end that the Prophet said, In other words, these people themselves are fighting. These are people are the aggressors. 
I have been commanded to defend and fight against them until they desist. And what can I do? It's as if he's saying, I am but a reminder. I did not want to fight them. Allah commanded me, remind them. You are but a reminder. You are not an aggressor over them. Subhanallah. So this version that's narrated in Sahih Muslim puts the whole hadith in the context that if the beginning part mean kill the people until they accept Islam, then why did he bring this hadith in, the, in the, this ayah in the end that is completely opposite of the meaning of the hadith that they have understood? Right? Because the, the, the ayah, it means remind them, O Muhammad you're but a reminder. Lasta alayhim bimusaytir. You're not an aggressor over them. You're not their babysitter. You cannot force them to do anything. In other words, it is as if the Prophet is saying, I have no choice but to fight them. And the only time I can desist from fighting them is if they accept this message. And all I could do is remind them. I am nothing but a reminder. I tried, but they were the ones who were aggressors. And I have no choice but to fight back until they accept this message. This was an amazing point mentioned by uh, Shaykh Idris rahimahullah ta'ala another point min fawaid al-hadith is obviously we already said that that rejecting any aspect of Islam it takes a person out of the fold of Islam this is a very important point another thing that it mentions here that once you know that a person is a Muslim, we know that, for example, relatives or friends or people, we know that they are Muslim. You have no right to probe into their lives as long as they have not mentioned anything of kufr, as long as they have not mentioned any statements that go against Islam. We have no right to probe into people's private lives and ask them about their iman, which is completely opposite of what's happening. Nowadays, sometimes people will ask you, you know, just randomly, you know, act, you know, it's like a, you know, inquisition. The people are like asking you, you know, what you believe and what he's praying in the masjid. He's praying salah. Why are you asking about, you know, private matters about a person's deen? You don't have a right to do that. So it says, right? Don't probe into the people's lives. When a person says la ilaha illallah, then their life. And their wealth and their blood has been preserved. You have no right over it in any way, shape, or form. And this is a very, very strict and very serious matter. That once a person says shahada, even if a person doesn't mean it, he is to be left alone. To such an extent that we know a very famous hadith. I think this happened once to Khalid bin Walid. And another time it happened with Osama bin Zaid. Very similar that, you know, Khalid bin Walid, you know, caught some people and you know they were uh, you know cornered or I think Osama bin Zaid as well similar things happened to both of them and he caught him and you know the, the incident with Osama bin Zaid is that that person actually he cut off the hand the mushrik cut off the hand of one of the mujahideen and he chased him and I think Sayyidina Osama chased him and then right when he caught him in the corner, he said, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Muhammad Rasulullah. And he had actually, actually uh, injured severely, cut off the hand of one of the Mujahideen. Sayyidina Osama took him down, chased him, cornered him. And right when he was about to, he said, Ashadu he said, ah, forget you. And he killed him. 
He said, you're, you're just, you know, you caused harm to the army of Muslims and you cut off the hand of the, uh, one of our soldiers and you, you, this is fake. They came and they told the Prophet that Sayyidina Usama, he killed this person after he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And the Prophet called him and said, Oh, Usama, did you kill this person? Even though he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. He said, Ya Rasulullah, he's doing it to save his life. Because he did, the, you know, Osama then explained the story. He cut off another guy's hand and then he went in the corner and he's hiding. And he said, what will you do with la ilaha illallah when it comes on the day of judgment? In favor of this person, you killed him. The Prophet didn't even want to hear his story. He did not even want to hear the story. Even though the Prophet was the most just of, of rulers. He was the most just of hukam. He was a hakim, al-adl. But why? It's because of the power of la ilaha illallah that once it is said emphatically, it means that you must leave this person alone. Even if he said it to save his own life. Even if he didn't mean it. How do you know? And then in another hadith it says, If only you would have ripped open his heart and seen. What, what is it? Did you open up his heart? If only you ripped open his chest and seen if he was really sincere or not, do you know what is inside of his heart? Oh, he's a munafiq. Oh, he's fake. Did you open up his heart and see what was in his heart? What will you do with la ilaha illallah on the day of judgment? He said, he kept saying it and saying it and saying it until I wish my mother never gave birth to me. What will you do with la ilaha illallah when it comes to argue in his favor on the day of judgment? What will you do with la ilaha illallah when it argues for his favor on the day of judgment? So this aspect of it their wealth and their lives and their blood will be preserved once they say you have nothing to say about it after that another faida obviously is that ifbatul hisab min fawaid al hadith ifbatul hisab We don't have the right to take people into account. Right? And you know, and you know, this is, a, this is a continuous thing that we hear. You know, the halal haram police. I mean, there's amr bil ma'roof wa nahyan in munkar. Without a doubt. Allah has commanded us. But there's another level of you actually taking, you know, account of people, probing into people, asking them questions, which you should be minding your own business. You know, that, like, we're, you know, one is, you know, brother, you know, you know, smoking is not good for you, brother. You're such a good brother. You know, you should not be drinking this. You should not be doing this. I care about you, brother. You're my Muslim brother. I see you. You know, it's very sad that you're doing something like that. This is a nasiha. This is amr bil maruf wa nahyan al munkar. This is wajib upon every Muslim that we should care for somebody else. But when you're saying, hey, do you drink a little bit, you know, on your, your free time? You know, I just... What's that you got in the back here? Can I just check your back, the back of your car, if you don't mind? What do you got in your closet? Like, what's none of your business? You can't, this is this type of probing. This is what the Prophet said. They say their shahada, they establish their prayer, you see them praying outside. Hisabuhum Allah. If they're munafiq or whatever they are, there was a lot of munafiqeen in the life of the Prophet. There existed munafiqeen. The Prophet did not go inside of their homes or interrogate people. Now you have interrogations. 
Are these stupid things that you hear from fanatic groups? They stop people and they make them read Dua'i Qunut. What is this stupid fanatical type of thing completely going against the hadith? Looking at people's you know, pubic hairs or making people read like, read the Dua'i Qunut. No, this is, this is, these fanatical groups do these type of things. Inquisition, read this. Okay, what, do, do you know how to do this? Or how many rakats is this? What do you think you're in like, you know, communist China or something? Where do you think you are? What planet are you on? This is a Muslim country. You know, so this type of ignorance, this is, this is against, it goes, You know they say shahada. You know these people pray. You know you're living in a Muslim country. What is this inquisition? This is called inquisition. Inquiring into people, investigating into people where you don't even need to do that. It's none of your business. If he doesn't know du'ai qunut, so what? He reads astaghfirullah or just stands there. His prayer is still valid. If a person doesn't read du'ai qunut, the prayer is still valid. It's makru, right? It's, it's heavily makru because it's wajib to read, but the prayer is considered still valid. If any, for a person who's jahil of it, his prayer will still be valid. So I'm just saying it's a type of ignorant things that goes against the usul of deen. Remember what we said about these ahadith? That these ahadith teach us the usul of the deen. You don't inquire into a person what he does and what, you know, what he's doing in his home and probing into a person and you know, looking to find out you know, how pious of a Muslim he really is. It's not acceptable. وذكر الخطابي وفيه أن من أظهر الإسلام وأصر الكفر يقبل إسلامه في الظاهر. The person who says Islam openly and hides kufr in his heart in a court of law and in the community, he is still a Muslim. Yeah, of course he is. He's saying he's making إقرار. بينه وبين الله on the day of judgment he is in trouble. But we will treat him as a Muslim. We will respect him and the same laws and, 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 and protection that is afforded to Muslims will be afforded to him as well. Even though he might still be a kafir in his heart. Because you don't know what's in the heart. Right? نَحْنُ نَحْكُمْ عَلَى الظَّاهِرِ And Allah Ta'ala is the one who knows the internal. That's with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's with Allah. Tasdiq bil qalb, you're never going to know tasdiq bil qalb. Mega kama tasdiq bil qalb daram, and he says, Ashallahu wa la ilaha illallah. You really, if a person were to be a kafir, he would still in his heart, because we don't know. The zawahir al ahkam, and whatever is for the benefit of Muslims, and whatever is for the protection of Muslims, asamu minni dima'ahum wa amwalahum. Their wealth. And their lives will be protected by Islamic law. You have no right to further further inquire once a person says the shahada. You're not allowed. So basically, the title 
of this hadith, which has been given in many books, or the theme is Hurmatul Muslim. So now, uh, try, to be, try, try to contextualize the purpose of the hadith after knowing what is the theme. See what I mean? Because there's a lot of things being discussed here. Aqimus salata and atu zakata and uqatil nas and fighting of the people and all of these things. But if you look at what are the, the subject heading, the sanctity of a Muslim. You understand? In other words, okay, there's all these things that is being discussed, but there's a focal point. What's the focal point of this hadith? Right? The focal point of the hadith is ismatul muslim. Ismatul Muslim. That all of these things that have been mentioned under Islamic rule and in a Muslim community and how would this be applied to us when there's no Islamic government and so on and so forth. It, within the community, when you see a person expressing and demonstrating external practices of a Muslim, he must be afforded all of what a Muslim should be afforded, regardless of what he has in his heart. He could be a spy, he could be, you know, whatever. He could be an informant, he could be a spy, he could be all of the, you know, the whole nine yards. But when that person has made, demonstrated, right, Islamic character and Islamic akhlaq, and he's within the community, he has to be treated as such. And we don't have right, right, to then do inquisition and start you know, asking the people and start doing this and that and probing into people and spying on people. And this is to end that, that every Muslim should be afforded this respect. You have no right to take hisab of people. Hisabuhum ala Allah. When a person demonstrates Islamic character, he is given isma. And this is an amazing and it's a beautiful thing that in kufr uh, systems, especially communists, kufr systems, systems that are man-made, systems that are based on greed. You have people that they start going crazy, they'll kill their own brother, they'll kill their own cousin because they're like, oh my God, you know, what, 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 what's going on? To such an extent that Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, such and such person, I just know, you know, he's not right. He's just not right. He's fishy. Let me kill this munafiq. He said, Oh Umar, we have not been commanded to do this. What a community, subhanAllah. What a community, what a deen. What a system. Otherwise, you know this, uh, in Cambodia, there was like, this communist, like some, you, you hear that this guy went crazy. He was killing everybody around him. He was killing millions and millions of Cambodians. I think his name was Pol Pot. His name was. He was a, one of the communist leaders. Of, this guy is this maniac. You know, you hear about the killing fields, like just fields and fields of killing of his own people. But this guy became such a maniac because this, this kind of like, he didn't care if a person, you know, swore allegiance to the communist government. They made bayah. They, they did kufr. They disbelieved in their religion. They left everything. But he still, he didn't, he didn't trust them. He went crazy. He started even killing his own generals, killing his own family members. And then eventually, you know, that he, he, he eventually destroyed himself. But my point is, is that this beautiful system, وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Obviously, you have to be intelligent, and you have to be fair, and you have to be just 
And you have to be clever. You know, you can't allow anybody to do whatever they want. But Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, look at what he said. He said, Ya Rasulullah, this guy is fishy. If you start killing people just because people are fishy, man, there'd be nobody alive. Sometimes I'm fishy. You know, I come in, I'm just fishy that day. You know, I'm thinking about something else. Like, this guy, he looks fishy. Every, we all fishy one, one, one day or the day, you know. You're tired or something like that. You don't say salam to somebody. And this guy, you know, he's fishy. We got to take him out. You know, something wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ said, what did he say? He said, oh, Umar, the people will say that Muhammad kills his own companions. People will say Muhammad kills his own followers. This is a beautiful usul. And it's based on this. It's actually based on this hadith. But look at this usul. How did this become practical in the community of the Prophet? How did it become practical? That Umar said, these couple of people, they're, they're not right. I know that these people are hypocrites. I know that they're spies. You know? Because Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, right, he has firasatul mu'min, yanvuru bi nurillah. Sayyidina Umar used to see with the light of Allah. He could catch a munafiq from a mile away. He knew these people, they were fake. But look at what the Prophet ﷺ said. He said, these people have accepted Islam openly and they have been accepted as part of our community. Now, from the external perspective, we, you know that, oh, I saw him talking with so-and-so and that person has a connection with the kuffar and you know this. But in the open community, people don't know. They have, they have looked at them and they have seen them as what they have portrayed themselves, that they are part of our community. Now, when, if I were to kill them, what is going to be seen in the open community? This is all they're going to understand. They're not going to know about him being fishy. They're not going to be knowing about his conspiracy, that he's conspiring. All they're going to know is that, oh, this person was part of the Muhammad's community, and Muhammad just had some suspicion about him. He just killed him. The people will say, Muhammad kills his companions. Look at the, subhanallah, the hikmah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and his following of his own hadith, وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ As long as they have not done anything openly, clear. And this is not weakness. This is not weakness. Because at, when the Prophet had clear proof, then he would not shy away from putting an end to that oppression. There was a person... In the battle of Badr, he was cursing the Prophet ﷺ. In the battle of Badr, the Prophet ﷺ caught him. He said, Ya Rasulullah, please forgive me. I did it. I was wrong. I have daughters. I have children. Please forgive me. Wallahi, I'll never do it again. He said, okay, I forgive you. In the battle of Uhud, he went. He started doing it again. Again, he started cursing the Prophet. He was caught in the battle of Uhud. Again, the Prophet he was summoned and brought in front of the Prophet. This is a clear crime. He's committed a crime openly. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, forgive me. I never do it again. I promise. He said, no, you had your chance. Now you'll be put to death. Now you're caught. Now you're going to be put to death. And then the Prophet said, La min marratain. A believer does not get stung from the same hole twice. He had clear proof in front of him. So don't think that the Prophet ﷺ was weak and he didn't know. It's just, oh, just let anything happen. Let everything go. 
oh, this guy is fishy. Fishy is a different thing. Clear proof that a person, he did it once, and then he did it again. Clear proof. He makes iqrar. The person made iqrar. Yes, I did it. Then, this is just that you remove. Otherwise, if you don't remove it, this is going to become like a cancer inside of the community. It's going to continually eat, eat up, and eat away from the community and destroy the community from within. So from this we understand, subhanAllah, such a beautiful usul, right? such a balance that we find in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, ismatul Muslim. Granting the Muslim that sanctity in his honor, the sanctity in his wealth, the sanctity in his life. And if you do that, subhanAllah, community remains you know, beautiful. And eventually what happens is with, in regards to munafiqeen and these type of people, right? eventually, you know, you can't keep, you know, when there's a stink and there's a stench and something goes off, that stench itself is going to make itself known. And then once it's known, it's going to be thrown out. May Allah Ta'ala give us understanding of what has been said. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallah, Alhamdulillah. Ashadu Allah, Ilan Tanastaghfir.